This is an old Germanic legend. Now, it can be found in Germany and in Scandinavia and in England. And it's maybe not a story that's suitable for the children. But it's called Wayland the Smith. Now, there was once three brothers, and they were very alike in many ways, and very different in many other ways. Now, two of the brothers were warriors and hunters, and they would go out, and they would hunt all the beasts in the forest, and they would go to wars, and they would kill men as well. They were the takers of life. They destroyed both men and beasts. But their other brother, he wasn't as comely looking as the others. He was a handsome man, but he was big. It was as though his shoulders was too big for the rest of his body. And he had huge arms and strong muscular legs. And he was slightly bent over because of the work that he did. He wasn't a taker. He was a creator. He was a smith. But he was no ordinary smith. He was no village blacksmith that made hinges and nails and horseshoes. Oh, no. What Wayland made was things of beauty. There was things of war. He could make the most beautiful swords, patron welded, thin bars of steel heated over the fire and then twisted and beaten to make a blade that was strong and hard that would keep its edge and would cut through armor. He also made fine helms as well, wonderful helmets decorated with boars and dragons, beautifully wrought, and he would make battle axes as well, all sorts of things. But he didn't just make weapons of war. He also made things of exquisite beauty. He would make fine golden goblets for drinking wine with, fine silver bowls for drinking ale, all beautifully decorated. And he would make beautiful brooches to decorate the breast of a lady, and also beautiful necklaces, and his speciality was arm rings, beautifully wrought with many intricate patterns on them. Now it was said that Wayland's brothers encountered three beautiful maidens lying asleep by the side of a lake, and they could see that they were swan maidens, because next to them lay their garbs of swan feathers, their feather dresses that they would pull on and become swans. And so they took them, and they carried them away, and they hid them. And then the swan maidens had to go and live with them, So they were each married to a swan maiden. Very, very beautiful they were too. And Wayland's wife was called Hervor, and Hervor was beautiful and wise. 
and Wayland loved her. And they all lived happily together, all the three brothers and their three wives, for seven years. But at the end of seven years, the maidens found their swan plumage, and they put them on and they flew away. Wayland was broken-hearted. He had made an arm-ring so beautiful, the most intricate arm-ring that he had ever made. And he had given it to his wife, but she left it behind her when she fled. I suppose that swans don't have arms, they have wings. She couldn't carry it with her, so she left it behind. And Wayland looked at it grim-faced and said nothing. His brothers declared that they would go and find their wives, and they set off on horses and rode away. Wayland never saw them again. Now Wayland threw himself into his work. The swords he produced were more exquisite, the helms more highly decorated, the chain-mail armor that, he, that kings wore, was beautifully fashioned, light but strong. No sword could bite them. Now kings started to place orders, and Wayland worked hard to supply all the kings, the lords, the knights that all wanted his weapons. And also they wanted the things of beauty, that he made as well, the beautiful goblets, the bowls, and the exquisite jewellery for their wives and daughters. But there was a king called King Nidot, and Nidot lived in a land to the north, which was bleak and barren and cold. They say that no flower grew there and no bird sang in that country. Now Nidud had a heart of granite. He was cruel and he was cold, but also he was greedy. He may be cold, but the only thing that could fire him with passion was greed. And, of course, he knew all about this smith Wayland who lived in a forest on his own and made the most beautiful things, and he wanted him. And so one day the king and his men, they went down and they found the smithy where Wayland worked. And they burst in through the door, and his forge fire was lit, but there was no sign of Wayland. He was away hunting. He needed something to eat for his supper. Now the king looked around at all the things that Wayland had in his workshop. The tools were all neatly hung up on the wall, but also there was things that he had made, beautiful goblets and wonderful bowls and exquisite swords and helmets and chainmail shirts and 
battle axes. And also there was a rope there made of linen, and on it was strung seven hundred golden arm rings. And one of them was the arm ring that had belonged to Hervor, Wayland's wife. And it was the most exquisite of them all. They were all beautiful, but this one was wrought with love, and it, it, it surpassed all beauty. And the king saw it immediately from among all the other rings, and he took it, and he decided to take it home for his daughter, Bodvild. He would give it to his beautiful daughter. Now they waited for the smith, but he didn't return. And so they left, and the king carried away the beautiful arm ring. Now, when Wayland returned, he had killed the bear, which was appropriate, because he resembled a bear himself, both in stature and size and in shape and manner as well. And he skinned the bear, and he put a leg of the bear on a fire to cook. And then he looked around, and he could see that one of his rings was missing. He knew every piece that he had made in that workshop. He knew it backwards, and he could tell if the smallest thing had been moved or taken. And he saw that a ring was missing from the rope. And he went over to see which one it was, and it was Hervor's ring, his wife's ring. Had she come back to him, he wondered, Oh, his heart leapt. Oh, she must have come back and taken the ring. I will see her again soon. She will lie in my arms again and be my wife. After a while, he heard footsteps outside. He wondered if it could be Hervor come back, maybe with his brothers. And... The door opened, but in came strangers, all fully armed. Wayland had a sword himself, and he knew how to use it. But he was overpowered by all these men, who tied him up and led him like a captive beast, and they took him all the way to that cold northern land, and they took him into the hall, of King Nidud. Well, the king looked at him with cruel, cold eyes. Welcome, Wayland, he said, master of all smiths. I want you to work for me, and you from now on will work only for me. And then the king saw the sword that was hanging at Wayland's side. That is a fine sword you have there, Master Smith. And he told his captain of the guards to fetch it to him, and so the sword was unbuckled and taken to the king, and the king examined it and thought it was the finest blade he had ever seen in his life. And then he strapped it to his own side 
and took it for his own. Wayland watched, fury in his eyes. Now he looked at the king, and sitting next to him was the queen, cold and proud and cruel of heart. And next to them there was two young sons, and they were gaping in wonder at this immense man that had been brought before them. And they were whispering to each other and chuckling and cheering, and they could, Wayland could tell that they were making sport of him. And then he saw Bodvild, the beautiful Bodvild, the king's daughter. And then his blood boiled with rage, because there, on her thin, white, beautiful arm, was his ring, his Hervor's ring, the ring he had made for his wife. Well, <clears throat> he lunged forward, furious. The two men that had him on the ropes, they couldn't hold the ropes, a third one had to come and join them, and then a fourth warrior had to grab him as well and restrain him from leaping over and killing the king. Hm, said his wife, the queen. That's a dangerous one. You've brought a dangerous man into this hall. If I were you, that man behaves like a bear and I think you should tame him like a bear. And what do you suggest I do, said the king? I think you should hamstring him, said the queen. Cut the tendons at the back of his knees. Cripple him. Make him lame. That's what they do with bears. Well, the king nodded his head and said, Yes. Yes, you do have a point. He is dangerous, and certainly if we were to hobble him, then he would not be able to move as fast as he has just done. And the king drew the sword, the sword that had belonged to Wayland, and he handed it to this captain of the guards, and he ordered him to hamstring him. And he cut the sinews at the back of Wayland's knees, and Wayland slouched forward, weak. His legs could barely support him. That should keep him in his place, said the king. And once the blood had been wiped from the blade of the sword, it was handed back to the king, and he put it back into the sheath. Now we have to have a place made for you somewhere that is safe, and somewhere to keep all the treasures that you will make for me. So he ordered that Wayland be taken away to a rocky island that lay off the shore. And there Wayland was ordered with the king to devise a labyrinth. And at the heart of the labyrinth would be the treasure chamber, where all the king's finest treasure made by Wayland would lie. And so 
Wayland devised the labyrinth. A cunning device it was, too. He drew it out and showed it to the king. The king approved. And then the king sent slaves over. And Wayland directed the work, and they built a labyrinth of tall walls that led into the centre where the treasure was to be kept. And it was so intricate and difficult to find your way through it that only Wayland and the king knew the way. Now, once it was finished, the king had all the slaves killed so that they wouldn't know the way to the treasure chamber. Then it truly was only Wayland and the king who knew their way to get into this treasure chamber in the centre. You could spend years walking round and round and meeting dead ends and getting nowhere, because Wayland, he wasn't just a smith. There was something of the divine about him. He knew magic. People said that he'd learned his skill from the dwarves. Others said that he was the lord of elves. Well, whatever the case was, he was able to weave magic into the things that he made. And the king, King Niddud, he knew that too. And a forge was set up for him, a blacksmith shop on that island. And he made the most exquisite things. And the king would go to visit him. And he would stare with hungry eyes at all the beautiful things that Wayland made for him. And his castle was filled with beautiful things too. His wife wore intricate brooches on her breast. His sons wore beautiful decorations, necklaces, and they had fine swords, and mail shirts and helms made by Wayland as well, and so did the king. Everyone was dressed with the sweat from Wayland's brow, from his effort, from his creations. Everyone benefited from that, except for, Vod for Bodvild, the king's daughter. She loved the arm ring, but she would take nothing else that was made by Wayland, who was kept there against his will. Now the labyrinth had been made, but while Wayland was making the labyrinth, Wayland was also making something else. At night he would go down to the shores of his island, and he would gather bones and feathers from birds, and he would take them back, and he would sit and he would study the flight of birds. He watched every movement, every twist and turn, every beat of the wings of the birds, and he saw how they worked. And he gathered the feathers, and he gathered the bones, and he made for himself a set of birds' wings. These wings were big enough to carry him aloft. Now, 
Time passed, and he carried on working for the king. But he always wanted to have his revenge. They had stolen the ring that he had made for his wife. They had stolen the sword that he had made for himself. They had stolen him himself and his skills. And they had stolen his legs. They had lamed him so that he could only shuffle around now in pain and not with great difficulty. And another thing that they had taken, and something that Waylon valued above anything else, was his pride. They had stolen his pride, and he would never forgive the king for that. And he waited until he could get his revenge before he tried his bird wings. And the opportunity came. The two sons of the king, they shared all the greed of their father, and they knew that their father kept a wondrous treasure hidden on the island along with this great shambling bear of a man who was the smith. And they coveted it. They wanted it. They thought that they deserved it. They were entitled to it. The king withheld it from them because he was equally as greedy to keep it all to himself. And his sons were cut from the same cloth as their father. They wanted that treasure too. And they wanted the finest swords and shirts the ones that they had been given were fine, but they were not as beautiful, as beautifully inlaid and as strong as the weapons that their father had, the mail shirt that their father had, the helm that their father wore on his head, the battle-axe that he kept hanging up on the wall. None of the things that they had were a match for that, and they wanted it. They were being trained to be warriors, brought up to be killers. They wanted weapons that matched their ego, their vanity, their greed. So, one day they took a boat and secretly they went over to the island. And the smith saw them coming. And the youngest one was so young that he had to wade ashore from the boat, but the water came up almost to his chest. So Wayland weighed out and picked them up and put the child on his shoulder and turned around and waded back to the shore. He hadn't seen children for years, and he didn't recognize them as being the king's sons. And so he took them up, but then he recognized them. He didn't recognize them for their faces or their voices. He recognized them from their manner, from the sniggering, from the whispering and the laughter behind hands. They mocked him. 
and he remembered the boys in the hall, and he knew that this was King Nidud's sons, heirs to his throne, and he could see the same greed in their eyes as in his in their father's eyes too. The one boy had brown eyes, the other had green eyes, and they all flickered and flitched. The light sparkled in them, and it was the light of greed. Yes, they went into the smithy, and they looked amazed at all the beautiful things that Wayland had made that were there, that hadn't yet gone into the treasure chamber at the heart of the labyrinth. And they looked at it, and they coveted it. They wanted it, so shiny, so beautiful, so right for them, they thought. Now they looked in chests, and it was full of beautiful things. But there was one large chest there that was locked, and they couldn't open it. Unlock this chest, they said. We want to see what's inside. There is great treasure in that chest, said Welland. Beautiful things. Helms and swords and brooches and neck rings and arm rings and all sorts of things, but there is no key for that lock. Can you make one, they said. I can make anything from metal said Wayland. It will take me some time, though. So if you were to come back later this evening, then I would have a key made ready, and I would open the chest for you. But when you come back, do not tell your parents where you are going. Just say that you are going out hunting. But don't tell them that you have come here. So the boy said that they would. And away they went. Back to their boat. And this time, Wayland did not offer to carry the youngest on his shoulders. But you know, they shuffled and lumbered along after him, mocking his steps, mocking his lameness that was caused by their father. And they made a fool of him, and he knew it, and the anger burned in his heart. But he said to himself, No, Wayland, no, wait, man, wait your turn, wait the right time. You will get your revenge, and it will be terrible. So, later on, the boys came back, and Wayland had been busy. He had been at work on that forge, but it was no key he made. It was a sword, a very powerful weapon. And the boys came in, and he said, The chest is over here. I have made the key. He had the key all along, of course. And the lid was open. Look in there, he said. Gaze upon that treasure. <gasps> Oh, when they saw it, the boy's eyes flickered. They flickered with greed, with hunger, hunger for the precious metal. But 
They were so enamoured of these beautiful things, staring at them so hungrily, so greedily that they didn't hear. Wayland come up behind them with the sword, and with a quick swish he cut the heads off the two boys. Their lifeless bodies fell on the ground, and he buried them under a dung heap. Now the skin, the skulls, he kept the heads, and he pared all the skin off the skull, down to the bone, and he took out the brains, and then he fashioned two beautiful golden goblets from the children's skulls, from the two boys' skulls, he made drinking vessels. And then he took the two boys' eyes, two brown, two green, and using all his skill and his magic, he turned them into beautiful jewels, and he set them in a necklace of gold. And then he took the children's teeth, and he made another necklace from them that looked like pearls, so beautiful. And he had these gifts sent to the king. The king was to receive the drinking vessels. The queen received the necklace that had her son's eyes in it. And their sister, Princess Bodvild, received the necklace made of teeth. Well, they, of course, had no idea that their sons were missing, and they had no idea what these things were. They were just more exquisite, beautiful things made by their smith. But fate again intervened, because Princess Bodvild, she had accidentally broken the arm ring the one that Wayland had made for his wife, Hervor. And she took a boat and went over to the island as well. And she said to the smith, I wonder if you could repair this ring for me that you made that my father gave to me. It is the most beautiful and exquisite thing that ever I had. It, it's, it's so beautiful. And I know that you are the only smith that could repair it. He said nothing. He looked at her. She was so beautiful. And then he turned and he hobbled back uncomfortably and painfully back to his smithy. And he repaired the ring, he heated it, he beat it. And the princess, Bodvild, stood there and watched him at work. And Wayland recalled that she was only the second woman ever to watch him work. The only one before that was Hervor, his wife, his sworn maiden, who had flown away. Well, 
He repaired it, and he handed it back to her, and it was so beautifully done that you would not have known that it was ever damaged in the first place. It was mended beautifully. It was invisible, the mending. And she thanked him. And then he smiled, a sort of smile, and he passed her a drinking vessel that he had made that contained strong ale. Would you like to drink some ale with me, he said. I would, she said. And she drank the ale in the cup he gave her. And then he filled the cup up again. And again she drank it. And again he filled it. Now some people say that there was a sleeping draught in it. Some people say that she went there willingly. But she lay with him that night. He seduced her in one way or another. Whether it was the drink, whether it was magic, whether it was because she wanted to. But for the second time in his life, Wayland found himself with a wife, a young, beautiful woman in his arms. And he couldn't help but think of his beautiful wife, Hervor, and how much he missed her. But <clears throat> in the morning, the furnace had gone out, and the princess woke up, and Wayland knew that she was carrying his child, that the result of that night would be a son. And then he strapped on his bird's wings and he flew from the island, leaving the grieving princess behind. And he flew above the king's hall and he called to him and cheered to him and the king came out. And then Wayland told him, your sons are missing, I believe. Well, I know where they are. Their bodies are buried under a dunghill on the island. And I cut their heads off and I made beautiful drinking vessels from them. The goblets that you are drinking from in your hall, you are drinking from the skulls of your sons. And you, queen, who had me lamed, you are wearing their eyes on your necklace, and their teeth is about the throat of your daughter, and she is carrying my child, my son, who will be heir to your kingdom, and as another gift I have for you, King Nidud, I give you the gift of death because you will not live long after this, nor will that evil queen of yours either. Your hearts are destroyed, and you cannot destroy the life that is in the belly of your daughter. No more than you can put those eyes back into the sockets of the skulls or the teeth back into the mouth, and put the flesh back on the bone and take your sons back from the land of the dead. Now the king was shocked and furious, and he sent his warriors after him. 
the tallest warriors on the tallest horses, but they couldn't reach him. He then got his archers to fire at him, but Wayland flew too high up into the sky. The arrows would not reach. And then he turned his wings away and flew away back home, back to his smithy in the forest. And he waited there, always hopeful that Hervor one day would return to him.